Kim K literally brands Pete Davidson, Bella Hadid opens up about her nose job, and is the Indie Sleaze revival even real? We're Maggie and Jasmine, and you're listening to Culture Club, where we chat about pop culture, current affairs, the internet, and our lives. We acknowledge that the Wandering Woiwurrung people are the traditional custodians of this land we are on today. We'd like to pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. We'd also like to celebrate the rich history of culture and storytelling that we can all learn from. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm going pretty well, Jazz. We're both back in Melbourne. I feel like we've been international girlies traveling to Sydney <laughs> for the last couple of weeks. I know. It's so crazy. Like we don't go there for two years and then we're like, every two weeks, let's go to Sydney. But it's been nice. It feels nice to feel like you're between two cities as a rare change. Oh, I love. Um, any highlights that you want to mention? Not really. I mean, just like living there because we've been going into the office and kind of living day to day. Like it doesn't feel like a holiday as much because I was there for work reasons this week. But I loved, I stayed in Potts Point this weekend and I found, well, actually I found Lizzie recommended this really sweet cafe called Room 10. And it's across the road from another really popular one called Pina, which there was lines outside. Yes. I think I ate like, a, I think I had wine there. Does it like change? There's into a wine a- bar, yeah. But I was across the road at the little like hole in the wall cafe place oh. and it was so nice. Just people watching and reading my book and drinking coffee. Main character moment. So, yeah, what about you when you were there for a few weeks ago? So, yeah, when I was there, kind of the same. I feel like Melbourne and Sydney are quite similar in some ways. So I felt like I was just like having a like staycation in the city. Um, but honestly, my weekend in Melbourne just this past weekend has been so lovely. Like yesterday, I did three hours of karaoke. I thought I would have no voice to record today. So Culture Club, you were very lucky that my beautiful tones are intact. <laughs> Your dulcet tones. Oh my um, god, I was going to say that word. I didn't figure out how to pronounce it. <laughs> dulcet. Um, yeah. Where was this karaoke bar? I've always, you know, I've never done karaoke apart from SingStar on PlayStation, but like an actual karaoke bar, and I really want to do it. Oh my god, this is like iconic place. It's called like Go March, but March with an E at the end, and it's also like a board game cafe. Um, and the karaoke was so good. Like it was a Saturday night. Um, so for three hours and in that price, you get a free drink or like a food item, it's 30 bucks. So it's actually really good value for money. Like, trust me, um, it was really bloody fun. Um, Ooh, so yeah. keen. So in fashion news that I saw over the weekend and like actually made me stop, I was with my friend Paris and I gasped and I was like, <gasps> Alexa Chung. So the it girl of our generation, Alexa Chung, made a big announcement that after five years, the fashion label Alexa Chung is shutting down due to pressures created by the COVID pandemic. <laughs> so sad. Oh no, so sad. Um, her clothes are honestly so gorgeous, very reflective of her own style that we all grew to love so much over the past decade or so. Um, did you ever own any Alexa Chung? I bloody wish. I feel like it's one of those labels that I was like, when I have a grown up girl job or like when I'm earning heaps of money from the podcast, lol, um, (laughs) um, that I would get 
you know, something from there. It's very much designer clothing. Like jumpers start at about $300 and even like plain T-shirts, you know, graphic tees, whatever, start from around $120, which is what clothes should be. Like we always talk about sustainable fashion. Like that's like what clothes should be. Like they should be that expensive, but it is such a um, a mindset shift of like seeing $400, $500 in your heart not like dropping and immediately being like, oh, I can't afford that. Like it's a matter of saving up for it. So I don't know. I'm trying to yeah. think a bit more like that these days. But now I won't be able to buy Alexa Chop. Oh, secondhand markets. I will probably be looking at this up on Depop, but it's mm. probably going to go for more maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Who it's knows? It's going to be like a rare. Mm. Yeah, the Guardian's Jess Kartner Morley described the label as London tomboy meeting Parisian chic. And despite it being stocked in really – um, high market stores like Selfridges and Bergdorf Goodman, the supply chain issues hit the business during the pandemic. So Alexa said on Instagram, I'd like to share the news that for the past few months, I've been gradually winding down operations at Alexa Chung, the fashion line I founded in 2017. It was beyond an honor to be able to create my dream wardrobe. And I would like to thank our wonderful customers for the love you sent our way. You have great taste. She continues, the experience of setting up and being at the helm of my own company has been rewarding and frequently joyful, but the last couple of years have been challenging for small independent businesses and ours is no exception. The decision to close was not taken lightly, not least because I am so grateful for the passion and creativity the team at Alexa Chung brought with them every day and the faith everyone involved had in this endeavor. I am so proud of the company we became. So I think this is actually a very sad day for fashion because you see articles every day, every month about Shein, Boohoo, Princess Polly, etc. just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then you have... I mean, to be fair, I don't know um, their sustainability ethics or their um, workers' rights stance, but they are a kind of like designer brand that you're not going to buy unless you're super rich. You're not going to buy like Alexa Chung every week, right? So I think it is sad when these like independent brands go under. Completely. And I, there's two things here. Um, I, you know, still look up to Alexa so much. I'm really keen to see what's on the cards for her next. Um, very sad that she's not hosting season two of Next in Fashion with Tan France. So I do wonder what she'll be doing this year. And even though this label closed after five years, I hope she kind of views those years as something that she's really proud of. I also think that like, it's it could be better for the world and the environment if people had brands for less time, like rather than designers creating these like massive corporations, if you have more like smaller independent designers who have this creative urge and they put something out for five, 10 years, whatever, and it just stays kind of, obviously it's a massive brand, but like in terms of its output, just stays like putting out quality products. That's a much more sustainable method than turning into like every designer aiming to be an H&M or a Sheen or whatever. So there could be some, like another point in that. It's been two weeks since one of our usual pop culture segments. Last week, of course, we had a lovely interview with Wendy Seifert, who is incredible. And if you haven't, you must, <laughs> you must listen to the episode. 
But because of our little hiatus, it means we're so behind on Kardashian news. And this week has been no exception. So I want to talk about Kim going on the last season of The Ellen Show. Seriously, when will this show end? Um, But she revealed that Pete has not just gotten tattoos in Kim's honor, but also a literal branding. And branding, you're like, oh, something is branded. Like, you know, he's gotten a brand of Kim. No, a literal branding like they do to pigs and cows in farms so awful but it's where you know you get like iron or something and it's literally like seared into your skin like burnt into your skin um so it's permanent um the pic of the kim branding was actually first spotted when pete and kanye's beefing text got leaked don't have time to get into all of that basically pete was saying like come on let's just talk this out man to man um and Kanye was like, stop it. And Pete was like, "You're, I'm in bed with your wife, <laughs> that whole thing. So Kim says to Ellen that Pete is currently in the process of getting rid of his arm and neck tattoos, which is a very long process for Pete, and that Pete wanted something that he can't get rid of. He was like, I don't want to be able to get rid of it or, or to cover it up. I just wanted it like there as a scar on me. Interesting. He also just has some straight up Kimmy tats. Yeah, I mean, they have not been dating for that long um, and having to have multiple tattoos of a person you're dating is so wild. But, I mean, Kim K acknowledged that, but she's like, oh, that's like what tattoo people do, you know, mm. like they tattoo of like moments in their life. Um, but she also mentioned one that's actually super cute <laughs> and it says, my girl is a lawyer. <laughs> that is very very cute yeah so better step it up tom get a branding of maggie on your neck (laughs) no he made a joke he was literally like yeah i'll get one that says my girl is a journalist it's not as cute (laughs) and and it's a lot longer than the word lawyer (laughs) so kim and pete also went official on instagram this week uh only a day after her infamous no one wants to work rant on the set of vanity fair magazine So you've probably heard this iconic sound on TikTok, on Instagram, wherever, where Kim, Chloe, Courtney and Chris spoke about their businesses and shared advice for other women. Kim iconically says, I have the best advice for women in business. Get your fucking ass up and work. It seems like nobody wants to work these days. That's so true. You have to surround yourself with people that want to work have a good work environment where everyone loves what they do because you have one life no toxic work environments and show up and do the work of course this quote was immediately memeified we've all seen the tiktoks but it also brought up some very scathing and interesting tweets jessica defino who is a beauty critic and creator of the unpublishable newsletter was one of them And Jessica said, I was an editor on the Kardashian apps in 2015 in LA, worked days, nights, and weekends, only could afford groceries from the 99 cents only store, called out sick more than once because they couldn't put gas in my car to get to the office and was reprimanded for freelancing on the side. Uh, Kim, you want to talk about toxic work environments? And people are also calling out the labor practices of Skims, her brand as well. So again, a lot of a lot of criticism being leveled at her. And that's the thing, right? Like we've spoken about this before with kind of celebrity billionaires. 
You cannot become a billionaire. You can become wealthy. You can become a millionaire. You cannot become a billionaire. This difference between million and billion is so insane. And I feel like it's becoming a thing. Everyone wants to be a billionaire. To be a billionaire, you have to exploit people. You physically cannot make that amount of money unless you're exploiting one, the earth, two, like you're not paying your workers properly. You'll have hundreds or thousands of employees that you're underpaying. Like this money has to come from somewhere. And if you're not like paying people correctly, obviously that's going to go to you. Also, I saw this crazy TikTok. Oh my God, I need to find it. About um, Chris Jenner like owns a church in LA. Oh my God, yes. Did you see that? And apparently like that's where they're getting, like they're putting all their tax through this church because you, I don't know, the church isn't taxed. And yeah, so like all the kids' names like in this church. How fucked is that? Mm, I mean, that's not fact-checked, so I don't know. Yeah, and for the church, they have this like monthly membership fee of $1,000, which is quite wild, definitely a tax haven thing. So as we've just like mentioned five mini news stories, almost every single day there was something new about Kim K. So we can guess that these are calculated PR moves and, you know, she's such an intelligent woman. But more than that, I think she's also very funny. Like I think very much to her SNL skits when I am like reading these news um, like articles and stuff like that. And yeah, I'm just wondering why she feels like she has to make these like controversial statements like this work one right to get attention because she's getting attention anyway like why is she I guess I don't want to say stooping this low but maybe stooping this low yeah so true and um everyone was like the Pete photos in the hallway were put up like the day or two after the no one wants to work comments and so everyone's like well that's used as a distraction and they obviously have their new um Kardashian show being released very soon I feel like Kim was having a moment, like leaving Kanye, like single woman, you know, dating this hot young guy in Hollywood, being a lawyer. And I feel like people were changing their perception of her a lot. Like she was becoming in a different era. And then she said those work things and it's like, like you're right back to kind of like a capitalist billionaire girl boss, which we were kind of seeing a more relatable side of her. Like why did she, if she, if that was calculated to get people to watch a show, like she, she, I don't think she should have done that or said that. Yeah, this is what I mean because I think like we project a lot onto her because, yeah, mm. at the end of the day she is this like capitalist reality TV star. That's like literally at the crux of who she is slash was but I feel like we we root for her when she does her when she gets her law degree we're cheering Mm -hmm. we're talking about it as well like we're not just here for the bad or sensationalized news stories um but who knows maybe we're not her target audience Mm -hmm. maybe this is her core audience true oh my god does she still have an app (laughs) remember the game Kim Kardashian like Hollywood or something I don't know let's check Kardashian Kim Kardashian yes kim kardashian hollywood oh there's a kendall and kylie adventure no there's just the one kim one that looks fun i know i love games like that (laughs) so kanye west has also been in the news cycle this week he actually got shadow banned from instagram for a little while his account is still active it just says no posts yet i think he's kind of gone a bit quiet which is probably for the best to be honest but i read this really interesting piece by inai kimonobo which is titled, What Should We Do About Kanye West? Maybe Nothing for Refinery29. And it is a very, very great 
essay, like a long form essay on kind of how Kanye got to this place and what we as society, I guess, should do about it. And yeah, just really humanizes him a lot, which I feel like not much of the media has been doing lately. So just want to read a little bit out now as well. Keeping him on a pedestal as the voice of the people or even just as a tool for entertainment only affirms his misbehavior and also further stigmatizes and villainizes others dealing with bipolar disorder. We're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Casting West out would be painful, but keeping him close would hurt us even more. They continue, In a perfect world, maybe we, the public he so desperately wants to impress, and the ones that are still clinging to the man who used to impress us, could help West get back on track. But that's simply not our job or even within the scope of our ability as people who once looked up to him. It's his. What is our responsibility, however, is being honest with ourselves about the repercussions of his actions and understanding how we might be playing into them by reducing his public meltdowns and threats to mere memes, fodder for laughter and water cooler moments. As fans, we have to be willing to do away with our hero worship and see West for who he is in this very moment, a man who is spiraling in a serious way. Realistically, that might be the only thing that we can do for now. The rest is up to him. So that article will be linked in the show notes if you're interested in reading. But yeah, it's very well-rounded analysis of kind of what's going on with Kanye as well. Bella Hadid was the cover star for April's edition of US Vogue. And what's got the internet talking um, from this long profile is her admission that she got a nose job when she was 14. Bella says, I was the uglier sister. I was the brunette. I wasn't as cool as Gigi, not as outgoing. That's really what people said about me. And unfortunately, when you get told things so many times, you do just believe it. Yeah, so I feel like the line that so much of the internet uh, was fixated on was this. I wish I had kept the nose of my ancestors. I think I would have grown into it. What did you think when you first heard this? I, yeah, I really felt for her. Like that must be a really horrible thing to have to kind of come to terms with. I liked this tweet by a person named Mira who says, Bella Hadid saying she wished she kept the nose of her ancestors makes me really sad. We're out here being conditioned from the dawn of colonization to think that Eurocentric features are the pinnacle of beauty, and only later do we become conscious of this, if ever. Also, one of the things that came to my head was, how did her parents let her do this at 14? That's really sad. Yeah, a lot of like the tweets were kind of talking about um, like the blame should be on the parents as well and um, she would have had to get, gain um, parental consent mm. as well. Um, so that, it's a tough one. But also back to that line about like keeping the nose of your ancestors, I've actually seen this kind of float around TikTok for a little while now. Um, it's like really bloody sad. It's um, One that sticks to mind was this Native American woman who had like photos of um like herself as like a child and then she kind of green screened that with her now and her mm. and her like plastic surgery nose sorry not the right term um and it's just yeah there's like this grieving I think that a lot of people might go through obviously not speaking from personal experience but um yeah it's pain I think that's like such a unique pain that I think a mm-hmm. lot more people will be experiencing nowadays 
Yeah, and it will be interesting to see what conversations kind of come off the back of this as well. Like, yeah. I mean, it's also important, like, for a supermodel to come out and say that it shows that maybe the tides are shifting and, like, people are becoming prouder of their um, features that maybe like not the Eurocentric beauty standards, which is how the world should be. Like we should be celebrating all features, not just, you know, the Euro ones. Yeah, I was having a conversation with my friend who kind of was a bit more sceptical or cynical, sorry, about Mm -hmm. this. And she was like, you know, nowadays, right now, it's super trendy to be mixed race or ethnically ambiguous. So it's an interesting time to, to kind of obviously I'm not putting down Bella in any way like that would have taken a lot of courage to admit but it also kind of does work in her favor like potentially if she had more ethnic features or whatever that's not necessarily as detrimental to someone's career potentially like obviously we don't know that because this is just what has happened but do you think that stands what do you mean sorry I don't really I don't get what you mean I think just like nowadays, you know, I'm thinking about like people who like celebrities like Ariana Grande who kind of capitalize off being ethically ambiguous. Um, like you're saying Bella would still benefit from like she's benefiting benefiting from the situation no matter what kind of Potentially. Thing? Like, yeah, if she had kept, let's say, her original nose, would it have been such a disservice now? I don't know. Right. Uh, well, I know I can't really like speak too much on this topic as um, a white person, but um, like maybe post Black Lives Matter, it might have helped her. But I think before the 2020, like late teens, it might not have. And actually, yeah, I like put, by the way, like that was like a question. I'm not sure where I sit on that Mm. either, but I thought it was interesting to consider Mm. and kind of um, just to back up what you just said there, there was an article in The Age. It was called On Bella Hadid, Beauty Standards and the Shame of Hiding Your Ethnicity. And that was written by Sarah Ayob. And she kind of, she talked to someone from um, Monash University called Dr. Michelle Smith. And she brought up when um, cosmetic surgery first began in the US in the late 19th century nose jobs were most commonly sought out so that people with ethnic features might pass as white which was to help employment and that's like still to this day definitely rings true not just um, in physical appearances but we know that people with ethnic last names or first names struggle with finding jobs as well Um, so yeah it was interesting she also said this line European standards of beauty not only inform who our culture deems attractive, but who is seen to be like us. That's very sad. And like this obviously still happens to this day. And, you know, people changing their names uh, on resumes, there's whole studies on, you know, people changing their last name to Smith and getting, which ironically is a doctor's name, (laughs) you know, um, a Eurocentric name and getting a call when it's the exact same resume that they've used with their own name which is very very sad um and that kind of internalized racism this is like the things that are so normalized in our society i like this quote by dr yumiko kadota which says seeking a white passing face is about gaining privilege through a proximity to whiteness it's a very like i think important topic for to have come out of vogue as well like it's kind of interesting that this these are the quotes that are being pulled out from the interview. And, yeah, I'm interested to see what happens. But 
Yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah. And I mean, I think the other side of this conversation was that Bella vehemently like denied she's had any other work done. So the writer um, kind of pointed out like the accusations of getting her eyes lifted, her jaw shaved and lips filled. And this is what Bella said. People think I fully fucked with my face because of one picture of me as a teenager looking puffy. I'm pretty sure you don't look the same now as you did at 13, right? I've never used filler. Let's just put an end to that. I've no issue with it, but it's not for me. Whoever thinks I've gotten my eyes lifted or whatever it's called, it's face tape, the oldest trick in the book. Does she wear face tape every day? No? We're going to stand for events, but... I really like this tweet that I saw kind of about this um, and it says Bella Hadid admitted to getting a nose job at 14 but proceeded to say she didn't get anything else done. It's dangerous to project false realities to impressionable fans, either tell the truth or nothing at all. I barely know one celebrity without filler in the industry. I don't know but they are like a beautiful family as well. Like maybe it is genetics, but I don't know. I know but, but but it's like you've denied, like you deny getting anything done, like for so long, and now you come out and you say you've got your nose job. Like, how do we know? We can like trust that. But I feel like it's obvious that she got a nose job, but the other things might not be so obvious. Like that could be so easily disproven as well. Like if her medical records ever got leaked, it would be so obvious it's a lie. I mean, like when do people's medical records get leaked? Not that often, but like if anyone ever came out, if that Vogue was like not Vogue, if a tabloid was like, I'll pay you $50,000 if you tell me Bella Hadid's like plastic surgery record <laughs> and someone leaked it, like that could really like ruin her reputation as well. So I'm kind of like, why, what, what does she gain? Well, she gains kind of that own natural beauty thing by lying, but she could lose a lot more by it being proved she's lying. Yeah. And I mean, even if let's say she hasn't gotten any more work done, she's got, you know, the world's leading beauty experts behind her. She's got, you know, all the beauty that money can buy as well. I just think like as someone that, you know, sees her on Instagram and I'm like, how like how is this person real? I just kind of want there to be like mm. an easy answer being like, oh, yeah, she's had work done. End of story. Mm. That's why she looks like that. Because I think it's like I think we need to tell ourselves something along those lines. Mm. I don't know if that's just like me no I get that as well I 100% feel that like like oh I could look like that too if I paid 50 grand you know it kind of makes you feel a bit better (laughs) that's why we're not on the cover of US that's why we barely we're like behind the microphone (laughs) (laughs) we have a face for radio we have a face for podcast And it's time for recommendations. Jazz, you're up first. Is there anything you would like to recommend? Yeah, so this week I want to recommend The Indie Sleaze Revival Isn't Real, It's Just an Echo Chamber by Arielle Richards for Vice Australia. So Arielle is our colleague, literally sits behind us in the Melbourne office. And I really love this piece. It definitely got me thinking and also thinking about what I've been contributing to this conversation. We spoke about the comeback of a certain 2000 to 2010 style a few weeks back as the internet excitedly spoke about the return of twee and indie sleaze. But as the weeks have gone on, it seems that this triumphant return has only been in digital spaces, which causes us and Ariel to ask, is indie sleaze actually having a revival? So the article details why millennials specifically might be excitedly wanting the era back. 
These include their dwindling youth, a la the vibe shift we touched on two weeks ago, the fact that many people were in their early 20s in between the global financial crisis and COVID, so they're kind of seen as like this golden era, and that millennials are the ones in charge of the media now, also a la the vibe shift. So the kind of trend has spread like wildfire because we're all just like so nostalgic and also COVID has um, kind of fueled our nostalgia, our nostalgia about you know, years gone by. So it's a great article that goes against the grain of what pretty much every other publication and podcast, including our own, have been saying. And we loved it so much, just wanted to read a bit out now. Does the media drive culture or merely leech off of it? It's a chicken or egg quandary, but the magazine media were once the definitive tastemakers. In a time not too long ago, fashion, music, lifestyle, and culture outlets played a huge part in creating stars and propelling trends, icons, and brands to the forefront. That was then. Now there is TikTok. Numerous outlets claim the revival of indie sleaze without pointing to any real evidence or discourse other than this TikToker says so. And digital media today is run mostly by millennials, and it's this confluence of virality and nostalgia that has effectively magicked the indie sleaze revival into existence. But people still dress like it's 2012. They always have. Many people haven't even evolved past that era, still clinging to skinny jeans and slouchy beanies, reminiscing on good old days. Most millennials were young adults then, experiencing the high peaks of their 20s, and now, looking back, pushing 30, times probably seem great in that sepia-tinted hindsight. In the same vein, it's easier to jump on the indie sleeves bandwagon than question why we're revisiting eras from less than a decade ago. Could it be that we turn to nostalgia in times of duress? Could the hedonistic tendencies of 2008 to 12 have been born as an entire generation of young adults came of age during a global financial crisis? And could we be returning to the same hedonistic party culture now as yet another generation of adults comes of age during a once in a century pandemic? Discussing indie sleaze as a monolith is easy, but it's lazy. Indie sleaze isn't making a comeback. It's become little more than a caricature of an era, created by a bunch of overworked millennials trolling Instagram, TikTok, and Google in a bid to provide the winning take on something that isn't really happening. (laughs) That last line is so scathing. Well done, Ari. Such a fab piece, like such a great in-depth kind of analysis at what was going on. I have a question, though, to kind of just spice it up. Mm -hmm. Do you think now where, you know, internet discourse makes up a massive chunk of pop culture that there is space for trends that purely live online? Um, Like, is it possible for this indie sleaze renaissance to just happen in cultural conversations and, you know, on TikTok and blah, 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 blah. Like, does it make it less real or is there space for it? Because I agree that it's probably not happening happening in the real world, but does that mean mm. it's not happening at all? You know what? This is, Maggie, this is the beginning of the metaverse. <laughs> You're no. like, is this legit now because it's all online? I mean, this conversation has been happening for kind of like 20 years, but like I know what you mean about that like these kind of cultural trends I was thinking recently about our jobs and the podcast and stuff and like how quickly things move like you listen to a podcast from three weeks ago and it feels like it was three years ago because like things are happening so quickly and we like talk about these trends for literally a week and they spike and then they go away I do feel like this indie sleaze thing has hung around for longer 
than other internet kind of discourses. But yeah, I think there is some merit in that, like that things can only exist online and we can enjoy them online. And what have you been reading, watching, listening to as well this week? Yeah, I've also got an article, but it's a half an article, half a TV show recommendation. And it is with a heavy heart that I want to share that Netflix's The Babysitter's Club has been cancelled. I've recommended the show on here before, which is, of course, based on the books by Anne M. Martin. And the TV show was super sweet, endearing, and it was made for preteen audiences. Um, But I am really sad that it's ended because I don't think anything really filled that niche. Um, So yeah, the the article I do want to recommend is called The Babysitter's Club Wasn't Enough for Netflix Anymore. And that was written by Catherine Van Eidendonk for Vulture. And this was an interview with its creator, Rachel Shukert, and it really gave interesting insight into the powerhouse that is Netflix um, and how they kind of create shows and cancel shows and all that kind of backstage stuff yeah it's been really interesting to see because Netflix recently have been copying a lot of slack online especially on Twitter for their like raised prices and dropping titles so it is interesting to see this article kind of be against it too I think that's so brave what Netflix are doing in terms of like upping the prices being like you can't show your past without people like Netflix is definitely third on my streaming services kind of like my go-to. I barely watch anything on Netflix anymore. So interesting that they are doing this in this moment. But anyway, back to your recommendation. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I think I'm cancelling mine, at least for the moment. Um, But yeah, so The Babysitter's Club, um, apparently like the two seasons were widely critically acclaimed. They also nabbed a handful of industry awards. And according to the creator, um, the viewership actually exceeded Netflix's expectations. Um, But anyway, some of her quotes that she gave Rachel in this uh, interview were just so striking because I think, you know, this age of being a preteen, not yet a teenager for a girl, is so overlooked. Anyway, I want to read out some of the piece. People are extremely uncomfortable with this period in girls' lives. It seems to be the time of life that girls lose faith in themselves. And I think it's because they don't see representation of where they're actually at. Girls are expected to go straight from Doc McStuffins to euphoria. There's something about stories geared to this age that always felt like hindsight from adults as opposed to what it actually feels like to be that age. What we could do with the Babysitter's Club was make the girls as smart and interesting and mature as girls are without making it all about how other people see them. It's about how they see themselves. I think female audiences are trained to not take their own stories as seriously. Stuff men were obsessed with when they were nine is treated like Hamlet. How many Spider-Man movies are there? How many Star Wars? They tell it over and over again from different perspectives. That's all fine, obviously. But what if someone treated something for girls that seriously, even with a fraction of the money? That's actually made me tear up. That is so true. And I feel like so many of the stories that, yeah, we were kind of like, this is the hot new thing when we were younger and children and preteens, etc. was for boys. Like you're making me think so much about that. Wow. Now I'm sad. Oh, no. This club shouldn't end. 
It really shouldn't. But to be fair, for Australian audiences, you might have been before your time, but the elder Gen Z as well remember the Sleepover Club, which was on, I think it was ABC, yes. and had like Caitlin Stacy in it. And it was like this, you know, group of girl preteens. I think they were like 12, 13. Um, who'd have sleepovers at each other's house and there was like a boy they had a crush on or whatever it was. And it, that was a really lovely show. But yeah, oh, so true. That's the, I haven't watched Babysitter's Club, but um, I hope that there's something else out there for the girls. Mm, I know. I hope this, this sets a precedent as well. And people were saying that this had such a loyal fan base. So I hope, mm. you know, that these preteens are going to grow up to be opinionated young women like us and... I'm very excited, I guess, for the next generation then. There's got to be more. On that wholesome note, that's all we have time for today. But thanks for listening as always. If you've enjoyed, please give us a little rate and review on Apple or Spotify or whatever. And otherwise, we'll see you on the internet. Bye. Bye.